All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4 this morning. One verse, not even one verse, half a verse this morning. Let's keep it simple, right? Half a verse this morning. Genesis 4, the latter part of verse 26 says, At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. This is the first mention that we have after the fall of where people began to cry out to God. They began to to pray. They began to call on his name. No public prayer meeting was called. No New Year's resolution. Just this instinct inside of mankind to call on the name of God. This instinct to pray. Over the next few weeks, several weeks, I don't know how many weeks, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about prayer and we're going to pray. Every faith has some form of prayer. Remote tribes present offerings and then they pray for things such as as health and rain and victories and battles. The the Incas and the Aztecs, they went so far as to sacrifice humans in order to attract the God's attention. Five times a day, modern Muslims stop whatever they're doing, driving, having coffee, playing soccer. They stop when the summons comes to pray. Millions of AA groups pray daily to a higher power, begging for help in some controlling life controlling addiction they have. And even atheists, believe it or not, (laughs) find ways to pray when they're in a pinch. Prayer is universal because it speaks of some basic human need, some some calling out, crying out that God has put inside every single one of us. Philip Yancey, in his book entitled Why Pray, wrote this. When I started exploring the subject of Christian prayer, I first went to libraries and I read accounts of the great prayers in history. Prayers, meaning men and women. George Mueller began each day with several hours of prayer, imploring God to meet the practical needs of his orphanage. An order of nuns known as the sleepless ones, they pray in shifts throughout every hour of the night. Susanna Wesley, a busy mother with no privacy. How many mothers relate to that? A busy mother with no privacy, she would sit in a rocking chair with her apron over her head, praying for her sons, John and Charles Wesley, as well as the rest of her brood. Martin Luther, who devoted two to three hours daily in prayer, said we should do it as naturally as a shoemaker makes shoes and as a tailor makes a coat. Jonathan Edwards, great revival preacher, he wrote of the sweet hours on the banks of the Hudson River where he was wrapped and swallowed up in God. Philip Yancey interviewed ordinary people about prayer, people like you and I. And typically the results went something like this. The question would be, is prayer important to you? The answer, oh yes. The question, how often do you pray? Every day. Approximately how long? Five minutes. Well, maybe seven. Do you find prayer satisfying? There's a great question. Most people would say, not really. Do you sense the presence of God when you pray? Occasionally, not often. 
Many of those that he talked to experienced prayer more as a burden than as a pleasure. And they regarded it important. They even regarded it paramount, but they felt guilty. They felt guilty about their failure. They were blaming themselves on, on the condition of prayer. So the question is, very interesting to me, is why does prayer rank so high on surveys of theoretical importance and yet so low on surveys for actual satisfaction? What accounts for the disparity between Luther on his knees several hours a day in the modern day prayer fidgeting in a chair after 10 minutes? How many of you can relate to that, right? I'm the only one raising my hand. Okay. (laughs) I just wondered. My goodness. Maybe this is for me. This is for me today. Okay. Yancey writes this. Everywhere I encountered the gap between prayer in theory and prayer in practice. Everywhere I went, I experienced that. In theory, prayer is the essential human act, a priceless point of contact with the God of the universe. In practice, prayer is often confusing and fraught with frustration. Yancey writes that his publisher conducted a website poll and of the 678 respondents, only 23 felt satisfied with the time they were spending in prayer. 678 respondents. That's about how many people are in this room today. So if this website survey is is similar to who we have here in the room today, 678 people responded. 23 were satisfied. What if only 23 in this room today were satisfied with their time spent in prayer? Could that be the case? If that is the case, then this morning I am not going after the 23. I'm not going after the 23 who've got it all figured out and have more answers than questions. I'm going after the masses. I'm going after those like me who have more questions about prayer than answers. This is reality. This is the world I live in. This is the world you live in. I don't have prayer figured out. I know it's important. I put it way up there in terms of, yes, it's, it's one of the most important things I do or should do. Yet in reality, I don't find it satisfying. I don't find it fulfilling. I don't see the answers that I believe should be coming. And I think most of you would be in the same place. How do you see prayer? When, when somebody says, hey, there's a prayer meeting, what, what does that do inside of you? Do you go, oh, drop everything. Let's get to the prayer meeting. Or do you go, ah, that's important, but um, I just don't get it. I just, I know I should be there, but uh, I think I need to do, how many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, you can say amen, it's okay. We're all spiritual people, aren't we? (laughs) Do you find prayer satisfying or do you find it more frustrating? Do you feel it's a privilege to pray or do you feel it's a duty to pray? Shouldn't walking with God be more like, like, Like walking with a friend. You know, in the the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit and and sin entered into them, before that happened, um, prayer was like taking a long walk with one of your best friends. That's exactly what prayer was for Adam. God would meet with Adam every day and they had this time together and they would walk together. And one day God comes to show up for the walk, but Adam is not there. And God cries out to Adam, Adam, where are you? 
And Adam says, you know what? I was I, I have sinned. I'm naked. I'm I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. And I think so many times we 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 like Adam, we miss the walk with God because of shame. We stop walking with God. We stop praying because there's this guilt and there's this shame that's attached to it. But the good news is in the story, it doesn't end there. God realizes that Adam is covered with shame. He's covered with guilt. And he says, you know what? Let me cover your shamefulness. And so he kills some animal and he takes the garment of skin and he he makes clothing out of it. And he covers Adam and, and covers Eve. And they're no longer ashamed. They're no longer guilty. They're, they're, they're no, he covered them. Blood had to be shed for that guilt to be covered. But the good news is today that God doesn't just cover our sin. Now he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Because he's no longer, we're no longer killing goats to cover our, our, our sinfulness. His own son was killed. Innocent, pure blood was shed so that you and I could walk with God. And what's interesting is in the first couple chapters of the Bible, after the fall of man, we have some encouragement there because men and women began to walk with God again. Even sinful men and women like you and I. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God and Noah walked with God. That gives me hope this morning that I too can learn to walk with God like Adam, like Enoch, like Noah. I can walk with God every day like he's my best friend. That's incredible. I wouldn't want to go for a walk with a stranger. How many of you know that's kind of awkward? But do do you know that for that stranger to become a friend, you have to work through the awkwardness? Your best friend was a stranger at one point. And you decided, I am going to be vulnerable with this stranger. I'm going to be transparent with this stranger. I'm going to be real with this stranger. And we're going to work through some things because I think this this stranger can become a best friend and add value to my life. And I to his or hers. And so God may feel more like a stranger to you than a best friend. But the good news is he can become that best friend. And you can learn to walk with God. You can learn to walk with God. I'm talking to the masses this morning that when they hear the word prayer meeting, they go awkward. Moments of awkwardness, right? You know, our young people today, you know, if somebody says something that's kind of off or nobody knows how to react, everybody goes awkward, awkward. I think we feel that way about prayer. You probably, like me, have some honest questions about prayer. If God already knows everything, what I want, what I need, what's the point of prayer? If God already knows what I want, knows what I need, knows what's best for me, why do I have to pray? Why should I try to change his mind if he knows what's best? That's a good question. Let's just, just God, whatever happens, happens, right? It's more of a fatalistic approach to prayer. Just, you know, why pray? You know, God's going to do what he's going to do. The devil's going to do what he's going to do. I just, you know, trust God in the middle of it. Is that prayer? Is that, is that what God intended? I'm not going to answer that question today, but I will over the next few weeks. Why do prayers or do answers to prayer seem to be so inconsistent? Some are healed. Some are not healed. Some are saved. Apparent, some are not saved. 
Why does God sometimes seem so close and then sometimes so far away? Ever wonder that? I think there are many here today that you have become, because of these kinds of questions, unanswered, experiences confusing, you have um, perhaps become disillusioned with prayer. You become disillusioned with prayer and maybe even apathetic towards prayer because there's so many things that just don't make sense about prayer, right? I'm a, kind, I'm a logical kind of guy, right? I like... I like the room 101 to be on the first level and 201 to be on the second level. I, I like things to make sense and fit together and all of that. And so sometimes when I approach prayer, I, I approach it with, God, I really don't know how to talk to you about this, but let's just, we're going to have the conversation. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's not, it's a relationship. It's not lower level, upper level, 201, 101. It's relationship. It's living room and bedroom and kitchen. And, you know, you move around the house and you do different things in different rooms. And I'm not going to go into detail. And you're thankful that I'm not. Prayer is this moving, flowing thing that doesn't always make sense. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with with going in our closet and shutting the door and moments of silence and awkwardness. We have to be comfortable going into a prayer meeting and being uncomfortable because we can't figure out how that person's praying or, boy, that's kind of weird. You understand what I'm saying? So I think there's some, some reality things about prayer that we have to, we have to, we have to embrace and, and it's okay. It's okay. So I'm preaching about prayer over the next several weeks as a pilgrim exploring the subject with you. I'm exploring it with you. I'm not an expert. I'm a pilgrim. So if prayer is the place where God and human beings come together, then I must learn about prayer and we must learn about prayer. We must learn about prayer. Why pray? Does it really matter? Does God really care about the details of our lives, such as getting a house sold or finding a lost cat I'm sure he's interested in the, in the first, but maybe not necessarily. The, I'm, I'm just kidding. Okay. My daughter loves our cat, Tigger. So uh, forgive me for that, that comment. If he cares about both, if the answer is yes, he cares about getting the house sold. He cares about finding the lost cat. Then what about a hurricane that flattens a city or a tsunami that washes away a quarter of a million people? Our prayers tend to fall into one of two categories. Trouble and trivia. By instinct, we pray when trouble strikes. When 9-11 happened, churches were full for about a week. People were crying out to God that have never cried out to God. And sometimes our prayer for help is no more than a simple cry of saying, Oh God! And that's all we can say. We also pray for trivial things like, for the biggest buck in the forest, he'll come by our tree stand, you know. <laughs> you ever wonder if that's okay? If God's like, I'm a little busy to be concerned with trivial matters like that right now. A prisoner from Indiana, he wrote, he said, God's overall supervision of creation is scripturally clear. But does he concern himself at all to the point of intervention in our daily trivial lives? 
Or are his promises aimed at to help us respond to events, not to affect the events themselves? It's an honest, honest question. Does God care about what may be trivial things? Does he care about getting the perfect parking spot? Carissa believes so. I think he cares about little things. I think he cares about showing up in the small things in our lives as well as the big things in our lives. Why do we pray? The simplest answer and the best answer to why pray is this. Because Jesus did it. Because Jesus did it. Prayer mattered a lot to Jesus. So when doubts creep into me and into you about prayer, remind yourself that the Son of God, who had spoken the worlds into being and sustains all that exists, felt a compelling need to pray. Wow. He prayed as if it made a difference. He prayed as if it mattered. The Gospels record just over a dozen prayers by Jesus. On numerous occasions, he slipped away to a quiet place to pray after a long day of ministry. He followed the normal Jewish practice of visiting the synagogue, the house of prayer. And he prayed at least three times a day, every day. Jesus was a man of prayer, son of God. Jesus taught on prayer, including telling several parables on the subject. And before he left the earth, he told his disciples that they should always pray and never give up. Even after leaving this earth, Jesus made prayer one of his primary tasks. In fact, the only glimpse of what Jesus is doing right now is found in Romans chapter 834. And it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father, interceding, praying for us. During his 33 years on the planet Earth, he devoted himself to prayer. And during the past 2000 years since, he still devoted to prayer. To conclude that prayer does not matter, you have to conclude that Jesus was deceived into believing that it did matter and that his time spent in prayer was a complete waste of time. Why did Jesus pray? There's probably a number of reasons. The biggest reason was is it was his connection with his father. Another big reason was because Jesus knew that prayer would change things. Prayer changes things. Prayer change. Let me add, does prayer change God or does prayer change us? Come back next week. And I'll ask you another question without an answer. So the question is not, does prayer matter to Jesus? The question this morning is, does prayer matter to you? Does it matter to you? Prayer is kind of like wrestling in a good sense, not in trying to beat somebody or win some or something like that, you know, win a tournament or something. Prayer is like wrestling and some wrestle. Many, many people wrestle with prayer. A few wrestle in prayer and many wrestle not. So we we wrestle not or we wrestle with. Or we wrestle in prayer, which is where we want to be. We want to wrestle in prayer. And as you grow up in the Lord, you, you move from wrestling not to wrestling with, struggling with this thing called prayer, to wrestling in prayer and bringing the kingdom of heaven into this place called earth. 
So what kind of wrestling describes you today? Wrestle not, wrestle with, or wrestle in prayer. If the statistics prove themselves out, about 23 of you wrestle in prayer. The rest of you wrestle with it or you wrestle not. And that's all right. That's reality, okay? It's where we're at. We want to move from this, this thing we call very important to this thing that becomes very practical and real in our everyday lives. If you believe that, say amen. I want to talk to you as I close here this morning about two things, about expectations in prayer and then also a plan to pray. Two very simple things, expectations. A lot of times we are disappointed because we have unrealistic expectations and even in the area of prayer. A friend of Philip Yancey said this, you'll like this, guys. I think prayer is similar to sex. Now I got you listening. Pastor has all the answers now. I think prayer, she said, is similar to sex. Listen, most people would complain about their sex lives. A few do really well in that area. Sex and prayer are intimate and over-glamorized relationships. We are all led to believe that we should be in the stratosphere in sex and in prayer. It sets up a false expectation, leads to disappointment, and breaks down intimacy. Yancey wrote this, as I thought about her unlikely analogy, it occurred to me that reading a book about prayer has some parallels to reading a book about sex. What sounds so thrilling on paper bears little resemblance to how sex usually plays out between two vulnerable people who approach it with very different expectations. Like sex, prayer centers in relationship more than technique. And the difference between the two parties in prayer are far more profound than the differences between two lovers. Should it surprise us that problems exist or problems arise when we pray? In other words, prayer has features in common with all relationships that matter. Relationship, prayer is about a relationship with God. It's communicating with God. It's intimacy with God, right? How many of you know his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways? So when we come to prayer, we should not have these unrealistic expectations that we're going to be in the stratosphere with God when we pray every time. It's quiet in here. I know we're a praying church. We brag about it all the time. (laughs) Don't we? We pray three times a day here, 6 a.m., noon, 6.30 p.m., right? In every prayer meeting, we're in the stratosphere with God. Oh, you should have been there. It was just ecstasy with God. No, I walk out of some prayer meetings, I scratch my head and I go, I was there, they were there. God, I don't know where you were. What happened? But I keep coming back. I keep setting the alarm. I keep saying no to this so I can say yes to prayer. It's like a relationship. How does it get better? By reading a book? By listening to a series on prayer? No, by praying. If you want to get better with praying, you have to pray more. You have to do some more walking. 
You have to get alone with that stranger that God seems to be in your life. And you have to say, you know what, stranger? We're going to get to know one another today. And uh, it might be awkward because you, your thoughts are not my thoughts and your ways are not my ways. But somehow, somewhere, we're going to connect here today. <laughs> Even if it's for a minute. <laughs> We'll set aside 10 and one will feel productive. We'll set aside 30 and two will feel productive. We'll set aside 60 and 10 minutes seems productive. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you're, if, you, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Life is not this big, intimate orgasm. I can say that in church. It's in the dictionary. Okay. Marriage is not this ongoing orgasm. And our relationship with God... Forgive me if I'm offending you this morning. I don't mean to. I'm trying to just bring us to reality. It's not this this ecstasy all the time. Some days there's this feeling that we have between one another. And other days there's just this trust. And other days there's just, let's just get the job done. Let's talk about the chores. You know, I mean, there's just, that's life. That's relationship. So I think as we approach prayer, we have to approach it with realistic expectations. And not just that, we have to approach prayer with a plan, with a plan. Most people, they don't plan to fail. They just simply fail to plan. And even with prayer, we have to have a plan. You know, we plan for very important things in our lives. We pray like, like, like what's for dinner? How many of you know, guys, that's the most important thing on my calendar every day and on our kids. And that's the question they ask mom more than anything. What's for dinner? What's the plan? Right? <laughs> What are we doing for Christmas? What are we doing for our birthday? What's for vacation? What are we going to do when the kids graduate? We make plans for things, right? We plan, we plan, we plan. We have phones that wake us up in the morning and tell us when the next meeting is. We have all kinds of plans. We have lists. We jot jot things down and we cross things off and we mark boxes and all these important things in life. But when it comes to our spiritual life, oh no, 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 no. We don't want to plan. That's, that's just, we want it to be organic. That's, that sounds spiritual, doesn't it? It just needs to flow and be organic, and right? How many of you men have a date night with your wife? Oh, that's so unromantic. You should be more spontaneous. I saw one hand go up. <laughs> you never know where I'm going to go with this, so... <laughs> hey, I, I feel you, I feel you. I, I don't have a regular date night. Probably should. See me after class if you have a good idea for me. So we get this, it's got to flow and just be organic. We'll just see what happens, you know. But man, when it comes to our finances, boy, if we treat our finances that way, they're going to be a mess. We're going to be in debt. We're going to spend all this crazy money, right? If you talk to your kid and they're like, man, I'm graduating high school. What am I going to do? That doesn't matter. You don't need a plan. You know, just get up every day and do what feels good. Tell your teenager that. See how well that works for how long. So when it comes to our time with God, we need a plan. It's very simple. Very simple. And the church has a plan for you if you don't have one. We've given you options. We've given you tools. We've got that one-year Bible as a, as a daily plan. We've got the, the Live Dead Joy devotional journal that looks like an encyclopedia. Don't be intimidated by it. It's one page a day. It's all. Here's my plan this next year. I am, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through the Bible this year. I'm going to read through this devotional. Okay. So when I sit down in my favorite chair at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, that's my time. Maybe not your time. Okay, That's okay. 
what I do is the first thing I do when I sit down is I pick up my Live Dead Joy book. And I go to today's date, January 3rd. And it says I'm to read Genesis 7, 8, and 9, Psalm 3, Matthew 3, and Acts 3. I can do that. So that's what I do. Close this, then I pick up. I don't use a one-year Bible. That's just, I'm doing something different this year. I'm getting my old Bible that has duct tape on it. Duct tape. Notice it's on my Bible, not on my arm. Thank God for that. And I'll go to those chapters and I'll read those six chapters. It doesn't take that long to read those chapters. And as I'm reading those chapters, I'll take my, my journal, a little simple thing, and I'll write down some things that I felt God is pointing out to me, things maybe um, for me personally. Um, maybe it's, it might, might even be a sermon thought. I'll just jot it down. And a lot of times I'll pray through things that just, I'll just pause where, where it just jumps out. And that's why I encourage you, when you read your Bible, read until something jumps out at you. And then pause, because that may be the moment God is wanting to speak to you. And then what I'll do is then I'll pick up the live doy, live doy, live dead joy. And um, then I'll read that devotional. And if you're reading it, you'll find that that devotional is based off the chapters that you just read in the Bible. If you, if you follow the Bible reading plan at the top of the page. So cool is that, huh? I like that. Now, you could do the one-year Bible if you're doing that. But every day, my daughter, she likes to split it up some in the morning, a little in the morning, because we got to go to school, and then a lot more at night. So, right? Isn't that a good plan? And maybe you could do a little in the morning, a little at noon, and a little at night. And by the end of the day, you got a lot done. You had time with God. So after I do my reading, then I do my praying, and I pray about what I read and what God is showing me. And sometimes it's very short, and sometimes it's longer. It just depends. Depends how much coffee is left in the coffee pot. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we're over time, uh, so it's time to close. Would you stand with me today? How many of you want to learn about prayer? I want to learn. I want to learn. I, I want to. I want to walk with God this year. I want to be. I want to be Adam. I want to be. Enoch, I want to be Noah, I want to be Jesus, I want to, hey, if they can walk with God, why can't we walk with God? <laughs> and some of you go, man, that's a lot of reading, six chapters a day, just just read two, read the, the New Testament pieces, you know, just take a little bite, taste and see that the Lord is good, taste and see. Lord, thank you for, for your word, thank you for showing us how much you want to be with us, and even when it's awkward sometimes, um, God, we want to be okay with that. We want to embrace that. We want to embrace that in our private time with you. We want to embrace that in our public times of prayer together. God, we're, we're excited about meeting with you this year. We're excited about the changes you want to make in us. God, I pray you would help everybody here today in the sound of my voice to develop a plan, to develop a plan to pray to have realistic expectations when we meet with you, God. Lord, we love you, we bless you, and we commit this year to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our prayer workers to come this morning. I believe that God cares about the little things and the big things. If you need prayer today, if you need God to change something, you, you need to call on him. 
like those men did, like those people did in Genesis 4. Would you come allow us to pray with you? If, if you're not saved today, if your heart has not been changed and you're not a believer in Jesus, this is your opportunity. We encourage you to come and pray with one of our workers. God bless you this morning.